to make this announcement. Uh, this is from Kathy Johnson and Kelly Ockard. She says, we have 63 kids this year. In order to complete the shopping list this week, we still need about $4,500. The shopping must be done this week in order for the parents to pick up next week. Our deadline is here, and we're still in need. So if you can give anything, we would greatly appreciate it. And that's Kathy Johnson and Kelly Eichert. And I'm not sure if I see them. There's Kathy in the back. So after the service, if you're interested in helping Christmas in T-Bill, uh, like, like she mentioned, we have 63 kids. Please see them because this is the last week, and then the families will be picking up next week. So uh, thank you for your attention, and thank you for your time on that.
Thank you, choir. What a great way, to, as we begin the Christmas season, to start our service. It reminds me of uh, 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. As Peter wrote to these early believers, he says, You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. So as we go into this Christmas season, um, I hope that you can always keep in mind, especially every Sunday you come in here, it's a reminder in the midst of the busyness of the season, it is all about Jesus, and we have an opportunity to worship him today. But we want to welcome you to the service today. If you're visiting with us, it's an honor to have you here, and we encourage you before you leave, please fill out a guest card either with the QR code in the bulletin or the care card that's in your bulletin. You can tear that out and drop it in the offering plate. And also encourage you to pick up a guest bag in the, in the lobby uh, so you can learn some more information about our church. But we'd love to serve you as best we can. Uh, right now, I'm going to ask, where's Justin? There you are. Justin's going to say a quick word announcement about the upcoming uh, Christmas party. So um, this is our, I think it might be on, there we go. This is our fifth year doing this Christmas party, and it's gotten bigger every year. And over the summer, we were driving home. A long road trip. You know, I just put your Spotify on shuffle, and a Christmas song came on in July. And I said, oh, July and Christmas, uh, or Christmas in July. And so um, that was it. A light bulb went off, and we said, let's bring July into Christmas. And so if you like summertime, and you miss summertime, summer cookouts, banana pudding, the beach, all those fun things at summertime, we're going to bring all those things back to you one night in December. So December 17th, if you like summer, Please sign up, go to the church website so we can get a head count on food. Uh, horses and carriages will not be there this year because that's not very summery, but we're picking a new mode of transportation and maybe take you a little further than around the parking lot this year. So uh, sign up, com. all ages, doesn't matter, sign up. It's a great night. Just going to read the Christmas story together and enjoy some summer stuff. So. I want to be a part of that. Please make sure you uh, sign up uh, as soon as possible. That is the night of the 17th. Uh, I don't know about you, one of my favorite hymns was what the choir just sang, Joy to the World. Um, whatever your favorite Christmas carol is, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I want you to share with your neighbors, you introduce yourself, or just shake a hand, what your favorite Christmas carol is. Rocking around the Christmas tree does not qualify. <laughs>
ask uh, Danny Dowson if he'll come on up here. He's going to lead us during this prayer time. He's one of our active deacons. But before we call you down to the altar uh, to pray as a church family this morning, we just got a praise report. Uh, Kelly Roney and Cindy Lou Brock, their transplant was successful. Uh, Cindy Lou's still at Carolina's Medical Center, but Kelly Roney gave a kidney Thursday, and she's back there in the back. So God bless you. We love you. Thank you so much for being here. What a blessing that is. I just want to say I love the Ronies and I love the Brocks and I love my church family for, for praying for them. And, you know, I was telling Cindy Lou, we took almost every Sunday from the time we found out to, to have a special uh, time of prayer for you guys. So now let's, uh, let's just have a special time of thanks to the Lord for what he's done. He's answered so many prayers in this church. You think about the, the Pearson twins. You think about several people that were in a hospital that God has brought back. Are we not blessed as Christians to have a God that we can call on and pray to? So I'm going to ask uh, Danny to come up here, and he's going to lead us in this prayer time. As, as the praise team leads us in this time of worship, meet me here at the altar this morning, if you would. Thank you. You are Let us pray. Dear God, we come to you this morning. We've given you thanks for many blessings. We thank you for love, kindness, grace, and mercy. We thank you for our facility here, our leadership. We just thank you for prayer and the power of prayer and answered prayer. We just ask now that you'd be with those who are here at the altar. You know every situation. Touch it. Be with those that named in the bulletin we just pray that your will be done and your honor would be multiplied we just ask you to be with the service now as the preacher brings the message let the Holy Spirit speak through him our hearts and minds be open to take it in and use it and apply it to our lives in Jesus name we pray Amen you are
sounding drum. Repeat the sounding drum. Repeat the sounding drum. Repeat the sounding Have you looked around lately? The brokenness, the division, the hate. After a while, it begins to take a toll. We begin to view people differently. Servanthood gives way to skepticism. Faith transforms into fear. Love begins to languish under the weight of uncertainty. It's easy to become who we were never meant to be. Cynical, angry, lost. In moments like this, we're reminded of the lasting meaning of Christmas. A savior given to bear the weight of our sin, to mend our brokenness, to make whole our divisions, the love of God on full display, bringing light to the darkness, giving hope to the hopeless. This Christmas, in the midst of these difficult times, may we all remember just how desperately we still need a Savior. Bibles, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, if you will. And while you're, when you're, uh, while you're fi finding your way in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, I just want to make a recognition this morning. One of our very own was a Grand Marshal of the Parade yesterday. He was also elected recently to the Alexander County Sports Hall of Fame. So we just want to congratulate you, Daryl Atkins. Congratulations. I've actually turned down Grand Marshal five years in a row. No, I'm just kidding. I hadn't. But congratulations, Darren. We love sharing. Uh, thank you for your service here, too. I, I feel like, now I've worked with good staff. This is the best staff I've ever worked with. Hardest working staff. You don't have to worry about what they're doing during the day. Uh, 
Kevin's excellent, one of the best people I've ever worked with in my life, man of integrity, and uh, <clears throat> can preach, he can do just about anything, and Justin can do just about anything. Uh, he, he fixed our float yesterday and uh, has done a tremendous job with our students, and I really appreciate he and Courtney, and we love Elizabeth. She's been an excellent addition to this staff, so we are so blessed to have such a good staff here, and I'm honored to be your pastor, and I'm honored to work with these people, and uh, just wanted to say that this morning. First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now, notice the title of the message is a war, and what this is going to be talking about is the war with yourself and your desires and temptations, okay? It's, this, is an end, this is a message for you and for me and how to overcome the sin that so easily, the writer of Hebrews says, entangles us. And is that not true? It's so easy for sin to entangle us and slow our progress and things like that. Notice what Peter says, therefore, and that points back to chapter 3, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. We have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you, and they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, as we, as we try to dissect this, uh, these several verses today, Lord, I pray that we'd look at ourselves and not someone else. Lord, this is a message for us individually that we must realize that we are in a war. A spiritual, it's spiritual warfare, Father, and that Satan is after us to take our testimony and our reputation and all those things. And Lord, we're all at different places in our life spiritually. We all have different temptations and desires. One thing that may... I may struggle with, another person may not. So, Lord, this is not a time to look at someone in judgment or this, that, or the other. Let, let us look in the mirror and let us take a strong, hard look at ourselves. Lord, David, David often prayed this, Lord, forgive my secret faults. And, Lord, we all got stuff we deal with. And, Lord, we don't have to tell another person on the planet, but we do have to tell you. So, Father, I pray that we would do business today with you. I pray that this would be a day that we could be set free from some things. Lord, make, make a, a conscious decision to do better in certain areas. And Father, encourage us through the Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm so thankful that my sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. The penalty for my sin has been erased forever. But Lord, this, this struggle with sin, sin will remain until you come back or until, until you call me home. And Father, I pray that we would show grace to each other because we all struggle in different areas with different things. And Father, help us to be a church that, that will not only help hold our brothers and sisters in Christ accountable, but, Lord, do it in a way that is, Lord, compassionate and gracious. And I pray that this would be a place that we could be honest with each other and share our struggles, Father. Because we are in a war, and we're all on the same team. And sometimes Christians are the only group of people in the world that shoot their people on the battlefield when they're down. So, Lord, I pray that wouldn't be us today. I pray that we wouldn't be those type folks, that we would love each other. And, Lord, that we would help those who are struggling and that this would be a place that they could come and get that help, Father. We love you and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One pastor put it this way when he was talking about this section of verses. He said, sin comes to bring us death, 
Christ came to give us abundant life. Sin promises us that it will fulfill us and bring us happiness and satisfaction. It tells us that we know what is best and that we can attain what God cannot or will not give us. It's entirely deceitful and efficient at enticing our appetites, but in the end, it always leads to death. Jesus came to earth and never succumbed to this temptation. When he died on the cross, bearing our sins to remove them from us and defeating the power of sin to hold us, we were set free. If we believe in him and follow after his example, the Holy Spirit will help us to discern the deceitfulness of sin and help us fight back against it. We can actually have victory now because God is on our side. And he goes on to say this, Christianity is a war. And then you list some things. It's a war against the relentless mindset and the lure of an unbelieving world. It's a war against the devil and his strategic attacks to defeat and discourage us in our walk and our testimony for Christ. It's a war against our own sinful corruption, which at any moment can entangle us and sweep us back into sin. It's a war against cultural Christianity that would gladly settle us into a lackadaisical, undisciplined, unresolved life. So our only thing that we can do today is this, is to resolve, to deal with sin and sinful desires in our own lives. And there's three ways we can do that, okay? It's a real simple message. Number one is arm yourselves. Notice how Peter puts it in verse one. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves. That's a... Uh, that's a self-defense term. If, you, uh, if, if you're a person, like we have a security team here, and what we'll tell people or trainers will tell you all the time is that you're your own protection, right? You're it. I mean, if you're out with your family and something happens, what are you going to do? You're going to call 911 and hope they get there in time. Most of the time they don't. We have great law enforcement officers, but you're responsible for yourself, right? Nobody here is responsible for my family if something happens here or anywhere. I am responsible for them. Okay, Peter is using this same thing when he's talking about arming yourselves. Every day you must arm yourselves as a Christian. You must be ready. You must arm yourselves. He says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind or the same purpose as Jesus. And he says, he's using Jesus as the example. And, and when you think about Jesus, John MacArthur said this, Jesus Christ is our example in battling sin. He was in a constant battle with sin. He was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. Think about that for a moment. Jesus was tempted in similar ways you are yet he didn't sin. He's our great example. We sin daily and we fail daily. Jesus was tempted in ways that we never have been and yet he didn't sin. There was a personal assault on Jesus by the powers of darkness. Whenever the wise men came to Herod and said, where is the king of the Jews? Herod killed all the babies, right, from two years old and under because there was this constant persecution against Jesus. Oftentimes, whenever Jesus would speak, the Jews would come and they would try to take him by force and kill him. And the reason that is is because he was constantly fighting against sin. There are many times when the Jews and the leaders of the Jews would have killed him. They plotted his death repeatedly. There was persecution of all sorts. They blasphemed his name. Finally, sin was thrown upon him in all its fullness as he bore our sins on the cross. The Bible says that he was made sin on the cross there, the heavy weight of sin was placed upon him. Sin did everything it could to destroy Christ. It was ineffective, and he was triumphant. And what Peter says is this, Jesus is your example, so arm yourselves. That word for arm yourselves appears in the form of a verb only here in the, New, in the entire New Testament. It means to equip yourself with the appropriate tool or weapon, and it carries the idea of being ready. The noun form of this verb was used of a heavily armed Roman foot soldier who carried a spear, a sword, 
and a heavy long shield. This is how serious Peter sees this situation. Are you armed today? Are you armed spiritually? Okay. Are you armed? Are you ready to face whatever may come your way? Typically, the battle fills the mind with most people. Are you armed to protect yourself and your family? Chuck Swindoll says this. He says, Peter's point is clear. Christ has not sent us into the world as vacationers on a self-guided tour of a playground, but as soldiers on a tour of duty in a battlefield. We're not called to kick back, relax, take in the scenery, and wait for God to take us home. Rather, we are engaged in a fierce conflict on foreign soil, and we need to arm ourselves with spiritual armor to withstand the temptations of the world. You are involved, whether you like it or not, in a relentless war with the world, and you better arm yourselves. You better be ready. You better arm yourselves. Peter is saying, look, just as Christ was resolved to pay the penalty for your sin, let us be just as resolved to fight against sin. Are you armed? Is your mind armed? Your knowledge of Christianity, are you armed? Oftentimes, uh, when I'm on social media and I'll see a, uh, a theology debate, you know, Facebook is a great place to get your seminary degree, by the way. Many theologians in Alexander County. I'm just sitting here watching people's arguments and I'm thinking, are you in the second grade? You have a college degree. You're a very intelligent person, but you don't know the ABCs of your faith and you're on social media trying to be a professor? Arm yourselves. The battle fills the mind. What do you know? Satan always attacks the mind. There, there, is a, there is a battle in Christianity today where a large portion of evangelical churches are going way, way, way left theologically. This church is not going to do that, ever. It's not. Arm yourselves. Are you armed? Listen, Peter does not use the Greek word for light armor here. He uses the word for heavy armor. John Phillips says this, God does not promise to carry us to the skies on flowery beds of ease. God does not hand out colorful brochures offering good health, prosperity, and wide popularity, and a long life to those who accept Christ. Those who array themselves in such flimsy robes are in for a shock. The verb arm is in the aorist imperative, which calls for a decisive choice to effectively accomplish this action and implies an urgent, immediate call to do so. When the war in Ukraine started, okay, that was a non-gun-carrying uh, uh, community until the Russians came. And then you know what they started giving everybody? AR-15s. Because there was a war, and it was in your hometown, and you had to arm yourselves. That's what Peter's saying, spiritually speaking. You better be armed and ready, or you're going to have big-time problems in your faith. Notice the second thing here is this. He says, also, this is how urgent it is. Watch the clock. If you're a sports person, you know that in football, a two-minute defense oftentimes is different than a 60-minute defense. Because you're watching the clock. It all depends on the score, the, the score of the, uh, the game and different things like that. So what Peter says, notice in this verse, he says this, that he no longer should live, look, the rest of his time in the flesh. Notice that section of scripture. The rest of his time in the flesh. And every person here today, regardless of your age, you're going to make a decision. Are you going to do that? Or are you going to do God's will for your life? Now notice what he says. He says that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men but for the will of God see today you're going to make a decision will I live my life for the will of God whatever that is for you or will I live for myself and you'll make a decision today you make it every Sunday you're here you'll make a decision you'll make a decision today 
whether or not you're going to live the rest of your time here in the flesh or for the will of God. Isn't it great to have choices? It is so good to have choices. And Christ does not uh, uh, make you do anything, but he will convict and he'll draw and he'll equip and he'll do all those things. But ultimately, that decision is up to you. It says if Peter wants us to focus on the fact that we don't know how much time we have left, but to dedicate whatever time we have left to the will of God. One scholar put it this way, Peter's phraseology here, the rest of time, is meant to inspire the readers in their efforts to redeem the time. It's kind of like in your family. You know, I've shared this before. There's 24 hours in a day. Think about this, okay? You get, like on Sunday, you got church, job, family, hobbies. You got to cheat somebody, right? You can't do it all in one day. You got to cheat something for somebody. I remember a pastor at a youth uh, workers conference one time. He had a rock. And he said, this is time right here. This is time. This big old rock. And he started talking about all the things that we have to that buy for our time. Your job, because jobs are so much different than whenever I worked in the 90s, right? Back then it was six to three. You went home, did whatever you wanted to. Those days are over, right? So you got, you got this rock. This is time. You got kids playing sports. You got church. You got hobbies. You got jobs. Who are you going to cheat? Because you're going to cheat somebody. Oftentimes we cheat God, don't we? And that guy that was speaking, eventually, you know what happened? He dropped a rock. And he says, that's what happens to us. Because we cheat the wrong things. So you have to decide who you're going to cheat. The rest, look, the rest of his time here. Time. Watch the clock. See, some of you have been going to do something for a long time. You're like I was when the Lord first saved me. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I never did anything. Right? And then I thought about this. What am I going to do with the rest of my time? What am I going to do? Am I going to, am I going to take notes the rest of my life? Or am I going to apply what God has given me? Okay, and we're all called to do different things. But you can either live the rest of your life in the flesh. That's your choice. You're not going to hell for it. Okay? Or for the will of God. And that's a decision you're going to make today. You are. You're going to make it today. And you're going to make it next Sunday. And you're going to make it. Okay? You have to decide how you want to live your life. Individually. Kids, your parents don't make this decision for you. Moms, you cannot make those decisions for your kids. They have to make them for themselves, right? Will you spend the rest of your time in the flesh for the lust of men or for the will of God? What a tremendous challenge Peter puts. His, these people are being persecuted. Peter said, I don't care. I don't care that you're being persecuted. I mean, he did. That doesn't change the fact that every day you've got to arm yourselves and you have to make a decision. Will I live the rest of my time in the flesh or will I live it for the glory of God. Listen, the word for time is chrono, which gives us our English word chronology. In other words, as the chronology of your life events play out over a long period of time or a short period of time, dedicate the chronology of your life to do the will of God. Notice this verse in Philippians 1 verses 9 through 11. Now Paul is somebody, when God saved him, he gave his life to Christ. You can do a study on how many miles he traveled, okay? How many beatings he took, how much time they, they estimate Paul spent from the time the Lord saved him till he died in prison, probably. All right? And then Paul says this, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you'll keep on growing in knowledge. Paul's always talking about keep getting knowledge and understanding. Right? For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Paul's talking about time. 
May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Listen to this commentary on that. I thought this was so good. He says this, it's not the ability. It's, it's to, what Paul is saying is this, is to be able to set proper value on things. Now think about this. What is valuable? What is not valuable? What is more valuable? What is most valuable? What is worthwhile? What is vital? What is excellent? What is the thing that really matters? You know, for my schedule, I used to let the things make my schedule. Not anymore. I could care less. I make my schedule. What is valuable to me? What is valuable to my church? That's why I don't, take a, that's why I don't preach revivals. I got a church. I don't do that because I pastor a church, right? What is valuable? My church is valuable. My time here is valuable, okay? Think about your life. Think about your schedule. Think about your calendar. What is valuable? Let me read that again. It's, it's the ability to be able to set proper value on things. What is valuable? What is not valuable? What is more valuable? When I look at my schedule, that's what I look at. But some things are just going to happen, and you have to do them, right? And then there are things we choose to do. What is valuable, okay? And you're going to make a decision today in the rest of your life on what is valuable. That's what Paul's talking about. Listen, it's not the ability to distinguish between good and bad. Everybody can do that. It's the ability to distinguish between good and best, and only few seem to be able to do that. The discernment that assesses what is best, being able to take your life and focus your time and your energy on what really matters. Think about that. You're focusing your time and your energy on what really matters. The ability to do that is what separates the simple from the profound, the weak from the powerful, the common from the influential. Are the things in your life that are, what are the things in your life that are hindering you from doing God's will for your life? What is most valuable to you? What is most valuable to you, men? When you get off work, all right, what is the most valuable thing to you? That's what you'll do. That is what you'll do. Choose to make good decisions. And then the final thing is this, is turn your back on the old life. Well, that old man don't stop, does he? He don't stop. That old part of you that, that uh, you, you, don't, you don't even want to bring back up yourself, that's what he's talking about. Notice what Peter says. He says, we have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. He says, we, you've done that your whole life, doing the will of the Gentiles. And then he talks about it. He says, when we walked in lewdness. Lewdness means this. This is a word that refers to someone who lacks any sense of shame. Sounds like America, doesn't it? The word refers to what one Greek scholar described as an outbreak of wickedness which violates the public sense of decency. Peter also will use this word in his second letter to describe the lifestyle of the people of Sodom. And the dominating idea behind the word is that there's is that of shameless conduct. Peter says, you guys were like that. You were lewd. And he don't pull no punches. He says, you were shameless. You did it in public. You did these things. You didn't care who knew about it. He says, why well, go back to that? And then he mentions lust, which just means it's the private craving for sinful things, any things. Drunkenness is, is a perpetual person who is drunk all the time. It's a, all the time, that's what they are. And then rivalries could be translated as orgies. Sorry about the word, but it is what it is. And then finally, Peter talks about drinking parties and then idolatries. And one scholar put it this way, idol worship in Peter's generation involved all of the above. When you would go to the temple, they did it all. Everybody did it. It was like a family thing. It was just normal. It was a culture. And they loved it. And it was kind of a part of their worship in the temple. As a matter of fact, Paul told the church at Corinth, listen to what he says. 
do you not realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one, but the person who joins to the Lord is one spirit. Why would Paul write that to the church? Because the church was going back there. They were going back to the temple where there were temple prostitutes, and that's how you worshiped. And Paul says, you're, you're doing that? Why are, you, why are you going back? Peter says, don't go back to that lifestyle. Listen, the pull never quite goes away, so make sure you don't get swept away, is what he's saying. That pull, whatever your past is, will always have a pull to you. Don't go back to the temple. But then notice what he says about uh, their relationships then. Because what Peter's talking to is a group of people who are radically saved, all right, and they're still living in a culture that was verse 3. And that was their life. They thought it was normal. And Peter says this, in regard to these, they, talking about the world, their friends, their family, think it's strange that you do not run with them. Look at that word run. That gives the idea of a herd of people jumping in a cesspool of sin. That's exactly what it means. It's the idea of a group of people sweeping you in with them to go sin and do every type of debauchery there is. And what Peter says is they think it's strange, or that word strange means astonished. Whenever they would hear that their neighbor got saved and they didn't go to the temple, they were astonished. That's what it means. They couldn't believe it. He says, and you don't run with them, you don't, you don't go into that same flood with them, into that cesspool, that sewer that they're living in. He says, with them in the same flood of dissipation. That word flood is where you could get the word like massive waterfall. It's kind of like Niagara Falls. It looks so beautiful from a distance, but boy, when you get up close to it, it's so dangerous, right? A flood of dissipation refers to a state in which a person's mind is so corrupt, he thinks about nothing but sin and how he might indulge in sin again and again. And then he goes on to say this. I think it's in the next verse, or maybe that's it. No, that's not. But he talks about how they will slander you and how they will blaspheme you, he says. And, and what Peter's saying is this, whenever you get saved in his day, right, they're going to be astonished by your lifestyle. They're going to be astonished by your change in vocabulary. They're going to be astonished in what you do every day. They're going to be astonished, but then they're going to slander you. And what, one scholar put it this way, the reason the lost world will slander a Christian just for how they live is that the law of God is written on every person's heart which means that your testimony rem reminds them of something they know to be true. And they don't appreciate being reminded. I heard R.C. Sproul say that Billy Graham played in a foursome of golf one time. And one of them was a golf pro. And he said when the, when the round was over, the golf pro was so mad. He said, I played the worst round of my life. That man kept shoving his religion down my throat like that. Threw his clubs in his, uh, his car and then just sat on a bench. And then the other guy that was playing with Billy walked over there and he said, Billy never even said a word to you about religion. And he said, oh, he was thinking it. It was his lifestyle. He couldn't stand being around Billy Graham just because of what he represented. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, the unbeliever sometimes trembles at the rustling of a leaf. He often feels the hound of heaven breathing down his neck. He feels crowded by holiness in the presence of even an imperfect Christian. And that's what Peter's saying. You want to go back to that? You want to go back to that, that group? You want to go back to them? And he says this, and we'll close with this. He says, they will, look at the words, they will, they will, and that's you if you're lost. You will. If you're here today and you're lost, if you're watching online, live, 
if you if you if you're listening next Sunday on at the radio station, you will. That's a promise. I mean, it's not like God's making this up. Every word in the Bible matters. These two words matter. I hope you understand what I'm saying. They will. You will. If you're lost, you will give an account. That's a legal term. That's a courtroom term. That what that means is give an account, right? It means that what you do is recorded and you're going to give an account of everything that you do. Every little thing you do and then God's going to rightly judge you and damn you for eternity. How does that make you feel? They will give an account. You will. Listen, every little thing you do wrong, all right, you'll give an account for. Every little thing. That's why God said the books are open. You're going to have a fair, just trial. Trust me. You're going to have a fair and just trial. You'll get what you deserve, whatever that is. They will, Peter says, I want to remind you that those people that are slandering you, that are living those li the life that you came out of, he said they will, unless they repent, give an account, which means it's going to be a, a um, the word account just basically means it's going to be fair, it's going to be accurate, and it's going to be honest. Now think about this. Who knows you really? Ah, oh, your wife don't know you, man. She just knows part of you. Ladies, your husband really, he knows you, but he don't know you, know you. God knows you. He knows your motives. He knows what you do, what you think, why you do them. He knows all those. And you will, they will give an account to him who notice to him who is Jesus. Jesus said this to the Jewish people, God has given all judgment to me. You'll stand before me, the one who died in your place. He, he's the rightful judge. He said, I will judge and he'll be just and fair and accurate. And it's going to be the perfect judgment for you. And me too, one day. He says, they will give an account to him who has noticed, who is ready to judge. Jesus says, let's get this over with. You know why Jesus says that? Jesus said this, I'm going to send you out two by two, share the gospel. If they say no, kick the dust off your feet, go on. Because Jesus is saying this, there's some people that they're not going to be saved. Let's just get this over with. I want my people, I want my bride to come to me. Okay. So if you think that if you're lost here today and one day you're going to stand before Jesus and have some big, big speech you're going to give him, you're not. You're not. Now notice, they will give an account, which means every deed that is done in a courtroom type setting with Jesus as your judge. And if you're a Christian, you're going to give an account. But you're going to point to Jesus and say, there's my advocate. He's cleansed all my sins and none of your sins will be brought up against you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Now imagine, if you will, you were in court and the judge says, I have every detail of every person's life and we're going to talk about it. And they call me up and then Jesus says, no, nah, that's been taken care of. Been taken care of. See, he's our advocate. He's our lawyer. If I was innocent of a crime, I would want the best lawyer money could get, wouldn't you? If it's your life's on the line. If I was guilty of a crime, I would want the best money lawyers could get, would you not? You don't get one better than Jesus, friends. Not only is he your advocate, but he died in your place and he bore God's sin or your sins on the cross and he, he, he calls you justified. What a blessing that is. I'm going to ask you to stand with me with every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. <clears throat> and in the quietness of this moment, if you will, just I want, to, I want to ask you this question here today, Christian. Are you going to spend the rest of your time, whatever that is, and none of us know exactly how much time we have, of course. 
living in the flesh or for the will of God? What a decision you have to make today. Isn't that a good one to make? So in the, as, as Bev plays, you think about that. And you talk to God about that. And then are you ready to stand before Jesus, church? Are you ready? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ? Are you ready to stand before Jesus? Jesus is our advocate before God. I would encourage you to surrender to Him and surrender your life to God's will. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you, Lord, for this day. Father, I want to thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that as Christians that we would spend the rest of our time, Lord, seeking to do your will. And it's going to be different for all of us at some point. And then, Father, help us to arm ourselves as Christians to overcome the lure of temptation that we all face. And, Father, if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, remind them that they will give an account one day without a lawyer standing in their own righteousness. And, Father, that can change today. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, this is your time. These are your people. This is your invitation. I pray that it would bring honor and glory to your name. Amen. Sharon leads us in this song. You respond as the Lord leads you this morning. so much for being here today. I just want to remind you that if you would like to help with Christmas in Teeville, I think Kathy and Kelly are going to be out in the lobby area, so please see them today. We need, we need that taken care of today. Also, there are no evening services tonight, so I hope you have a great Sunday afternoon. Spend time with your family. God bless you, and you're dismissed.